The following conversation was recorded at 8020 United Methodist Church in O'Fallon, Missouri, during one of our dinner church teaching times. For more information about 8020 United Methodist Church, please visit 80-T-W-E-N-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H.org. So we've been in a little teaching time of Shades of Right, and the worst thing, I think, one of the worst things maybe, is when we're deceived, right? Or when we deceive ourselves about what's right and wrong. And some of you are like, hey, that can really easily happen with the like squiggly line thing. You want to show us our squiggly line things? This is the best I knew how to put the mental map up of like the, the ambiguity. And I can deceive myself or I can be deceived because there's so many options. There's so much that doesn't seem cut and dry, but it can also happen with the rigid right and wrong buttons. If you read the gospels, you can see that the people in the gospels who were the most rigid, the most sure of themselves, the black and white thinking, um, so sure that they were right, were the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, um, the religious elite. Um, And Jesus said that they were the farthest from the kingdom of God, right? So being super certain isn't always um, the, the way to not be deceived or deceive ourselves either. And throughout Jesus' life and ministry, he starts to show a different picture. Instead of an objective chart of right and wrong that we can hold up and be super sure about, right and wrong starts to look more like a relationship of trust. Righteousness is found in the dynamic heart of God, as God is the one who defines righteousness within God's self. So with all of our changes in the world, our call to righteousness is a call to seek the Lord with our whole hearts, with pure hearts, with no secondary motives. So I just want to kind of chart where we've been and um, catch us up as we're ending this whole series this week. Week one, we talked about Mary and Martha. There were two sisters where Martha, one of the sisters wanted Jesus to correct Mary in front of everyone. Like, hey, Jesus, tell them I'm right and she's wrong. And Jesus actually said, Martha, hey, you're good. But really what Mary chose is better. Do you guys remember that story? And then the next week um, was the anointing story. It was like, whoa, Judas started criticizing and said, this woman has wasted such expensive perfume. We could have had such great impact on alleviating human suffering and poverty with all this money. Why do you need to smell so good this week, Jesus? I mean, she knew why he had to smell good this week, but Judas wasn't really sure about it. Um, And Judas's words sounded right, but his heart, what people couldn't see, compromised was divided. So like when people use right sounding words, it's easy to get deceived also, right? Even though her actions were questionable, Mary's heart was right, and Jesus rises to her defense. Um, And then last week, demons were sharing the right information about Jesus, right? Like, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Messiah, but at the wrong time, if you were here last week. And again, with the wrong motives. And we learned, you know, be careful with the truth. God trusts you with the truth. When you have a germ of truth, a, a, a kernel of truth, it's powerful, And it can be used destructively when it's used with false motives or when shared prematurely with an intent to cause harm. So one thing I've learned for these three gospel stories is mind your own business a lot of the time, right? A lot of the time when people go wrong, it's because they're trying to figure out what somebody else needs to be doing right or wrong. Um, That's what's happening a lot of the time. So a lot of what I've picked up is, 
I have enough trouble focusing on what I need to do in the situations that I'm in, um, not always trying to get on other people's. So um, uh, here's the first discussion question. Okay, so question one. So far, and I've just kind of given you the rundown of the last three weeks, try and jog your memory. If this is your first time here, then um, that's kind of what we've been talking about the last three weeks. What do you think um, about Shades of Right gospel stories so far? What has stood out to you? Uh, what do you still question? Um, was there anything that was an aha moment for you? Well, we've been talking about in each of the other three stories, um, different choices of other people, human beings in the story. And this last week, um, we could do so many more stories like this because the, the, the Bible's full of them. Um, but the, 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 this is the last week, and we're not going to look at human choices. We're going to look at God's choices this week for a little change of pace. Um, in the spiritual growth discretion thread on our app, I'm going to put a lot of more um, Bible stories that talk about God's choices when God is in a position to make some really difficult choices um, because it's, it's interesting to see how God navigates all of that too. Um, but Jesus in the gospel is the son of man, is the son of God, truly human and truly God. Now we have a notion of God being perfect, right? I believe that with all my heart. Uh, but God also, a perfect God, chooses to interact with the likes of you and me, right? In our full fallen and, and broken and messed up world, God interacts in real life with us. And so Jesus walked around in it. What does he do in a compromised situation? So we're getting ready to do some all-ages storytelling. By the way, this... Being a character in the story is not just for people who are young. It can be any age can be a character in the story. But there are two rules, two things that help us with our storytelling. One is I would love to invite everyone to help tell the story by reacting to each statement as you hear it. If you hear something surprising, you go, oh. if you hear something that makes sense, you go, hmm, hmm. If you, you know, whatever you think, you can say yes, you can say no, you can make noise, like you're helping to tell the story. And two, if you volunteer to be a character, wait until I turn to you and tell you like about something that I need you to do instead of just like kind of going off script and doing it. All right. That's the only two rules that I have. Okay. So, um, we are in John chapter two. How exciting is this? Anybody like the book of John? Yeah. <laughs> Woo, this is good so far. We learn that Jesus's mother is at a wedding. Now, um, the wedding is in Cana in Galilee, which is not that far from Jesus's hometown of Nazareth, where he grew up. And as the story unfolds, we start to realize Mary in particular, so Jesus's family seems to have a close relationship with the family that's the, the bride and groom, the family that's doing the wedding. Yes. Oh, you guys are just doing so well telling this story. So I need a couple volunteers. I need a wedding couple. Anybody want to be the wedding couple? 
I mean, if, if you, the costumes are over there. Does one, one of them was a boy and one of them was a girl back then. Do you want to be the boy, Dalen? Okay, come on. Would you come and sit over here? You're our wedding couple. You can sit on the wedding couch. All right. Yes. Look at our beautiful bride, everyone. This is your little table. If you want to get your drinks, you could, your beard fell off. That's all right, hon. You could come with a, with a fallen off beard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're getting there. All right, we're getting there. All right. Don't we have a beautiful wedding couple? We need a Mary. Anybody want to say I'll be Mary for this? Thank you, Serenity. You can get a, Mary probably didn't have a beard, uh, I'm guessing. But if you want to get a costume over there, you can. And you can go back and sit where you were. Okay, now, I also need two servants. Adults can be characters too. Whitney, you want to be? And Sarah, okay. So we have two servants. They're going to walk around as non-distracting as possible and fill out drinks. We have a beautiful wedding couple, and we have Mary. Now, we also learn that Jesus and his disciples have been invited to this wedding. Aiden, do you want to be Jesus? Okay, uh, go ahead, and you can get a beard and a costume. Everybody say, hey, Jesus, what's up? And Jesus is having a grand old time. Jesus is celebrating with his friends. His disciples are there too. Maybe some of you are Jesus' disciples. Um, so let's freeze for just a second and do a side note here. Um, Jesus was not at this wedding to be the priest or to be the rabbi or to be the clergy person that had any sort of official role. In our culture, we have someone like that at weddings because that's part of our culture, that there's a clergy person that's the officiant, right? In this culture, you might say, who was the priest there that day? Nobody was because they didn't solemnize their marriages with clergy persons. Instead, in this day and time, um, weddings were more of a secular, family, community, village kind of affair. Um, the families made the agreements. It was outside of the jurisdiction of the religious um, sort of order. So Jesus, you need to actually sit with everybody else because you're a guest at this wedding. Yeah, you're just, you're hanging out with people. Um, and as a matter of fact, this is the only time in the whole Bible that a clergy person or religious leader is ever mentioned even being present at a wedding. The whole Old Testament, the whole New Testament, they're not even mentioned being there. There's lots of weddings in the Old Testament and New Testament. And I wanted to bring that up. It struck me so much. I did a lot of research on this topic because I started to ask myself, well, why do we do it that way nowadays? Why do we have an official, officiant of the church be in charge of a wedding and solemnizing and officiating and and giving permission and all that kind of stuff, uh, because they didn't do it like that back then. And I did a lot of research on the topic of clergy involvement in weddings, how it developed to get from where it was to where it is today. And I ended up writing a book about it called How Holy Is Matrimony? Rethinking the Church's Role in the Wedding Business. Um, because it seems to me our modern way of doing things, which is so different 
has been more influenced by our Western culture than by the Bible, than by logic or Christian tradition, and it has caused, in my opinion, no small amount of problems. So um, just wanted to throw that out there. While we're talking about the wedding in John chapter 2 of Cana and Galilee, if you're interested in reading that book, I've got lots of copies in my office. Okay, so back to our story. Okay, here's Jesus and his friends and their guests at the wedding, and everybody is celebrating and smiling and toasting and telling stories. And dancing. There you go. Cheers, y'all. And laughing until something is wrong. We start to hear people whispering. And what they start to say to one another is, where'd that servant go? We ran out of wine. Where's the, is there any more wine? I don't think they have no wine for me. There's no more wine. I can't get a refill. Wait, I didn't even have a glass yet. And they start whispering about the wine being gone. And this, my friends, is hugely embarrassing. Okay, this is hugely embarrassing. <laughs> Thank you. It's like Middle Eastern hospitality gone all wrong. People start thinking bad things about this couple, this groom. They start thinking like, all right, is this couple on a budget? <laughs> Do they not have enough money to get wine for all the guests they invited? Like, this is potential social disaster for this couple, right? Anybody feel for the groom right now? Which, by the way, they were the ones throwing the wedding feast, the groom's family in this culture. Anybody feel real bad right now? Like, uh-oh, he's, you know, yeah. How many of you hope something happens that saves him from embarrassment? Yeah. Well, if you are hoping that he doesn't have to be publicly humiliated and embarrassed, you were thinking along the same lines as Jesus's mom. Jesus's mother, Mary, um, she gets up and she goes to Jesus. She says to Jesus, um, hey Jesus, they have no more wine. And she kind of looks at him. You ever get the look from, a, from your mom? Like, but what, and she gave him this look that was kind of like, Jesus, I want you to do something about it. And really what she wants Jesus to do, he's 30 years old. She's his mom. She knows what he's capable of, right? And she's, she's got an idea at least. And she wants Jesus to do a miracle, show his power and save their poor friends from social embarrassment, right? Now, I imagine... Jesus looks left, and Jesus looks right. And Jesus kind of gives her this look like, you talking to me? Yeah? And in front of everybody, she's, she's, she's asking him this. So Jesus says to her, everybody wants to know, what's Jesus going to say? What does she mean by this? Jesus looks at her, and he says, Mom, why are you trying to get me involved? Say that. And then he says this, my hour has not yet come. So now, Jesus also has a little bit of a social situation happening. His relationship with his mom 
It's a bit complicated if you read the Gospels. Every single story, pretty much, it's complicated. They don't always see eye to eye. You ever have people you don't always see eye to eye with? And guess what? These are like the two most holiest people of the world, right? Um, so one of them is even God, yeah? So just to catch you up about where we're at, and they're not seeing eye to eye right here. So let's freeze here for just a second, and let's talk about Jesus's moral dilemma. Remember, we're going to talk about God's choices this time. Jesus is in a little bit of a moral dilemma right now, right? Um, do you think Jesus should choose to help them out? Why or why not? Let me hear what you think. What would be the reasons, it would be the right thing to do to help them out? Any ideas? They, because they have no wine, so Jesus could be a blessing. You said save them from embarrassment. Yeah, what do you think, Z? I, I think yeah, he could help them. I mean, he has the power to help them, right? Like, why not? They're friends. They're friends. These are his friends, right? It's a party. It's a party. People want more wine. And in Cana, right? Any other reason you could think morally if you were t freezing Jesus to be kind? Honor your mother and father. That might be a reason that he might choose to do what she's asking him to do. All right, now let's play the, the other side here in Jesus's moral dilemma. How many of you think he should wait until it's his time to reveal his miracles, his saving power? Like he's saying, why or why not would that be the right thing to do? He doesn't want to draw attention to himself. We talked last time about how he really is trying to keep a low profile. Anything else? It's just not time yet. People might not be ready to see this and understand. Anything else? Someone said last week um, about the, you know, the revealing who he was before the proper time. What if it cut his time short because people wanted to start killing him as soon as they realized how much power he had? What if he could have been saving people and healing people and teaching people for longer on earth? But this might have a consequence like that, cutting his time short, making him die sooner, right? Because this is a funny situation with a mom. In Jesus, in God's mind, maybe he didn't want his miracle to be at some ordinary thing about, like he knew he was getting ready to like raise people from the dead and bring sight to the blind and make lame people walk again and cast out demons. He was getting ready to do all these really significant and powerful things and before he gets to do all of that, his mom's like, you know what? Turn the water into wine, okay? Because my friends need help. Is anybody with Jesus like, okay, wait, mom, seriously, my, that's not how I wanted to like, make my debut. Maybe. I don't know. Just wondering. Uh, maybe I had something else in mind to start with. But, you know, here he is in this situation with his mother. And we get a sense that, like, uh, other people are aware of what's going on and their attention is on them. God is in a situation where right and wrong might not be super clear buttons right now, right? It might be more of a squiggly line thing. Does God need to choose between bad and worse ever because of the situations that the free people he chooses to interact with decide to do that makes it kind of a dicey situation? or something that's less harmful or more harmful? If Mary had said nothing to Jesus, right and wrong would have been easy, right? 
Jesus would have kept going on his merry way probably. I imagine, I imagine that Jesus would have waited to reveal his glory like he said was his original plan. He said his time has not yet come. It's not the right time yet. God seemed to say this isn't the right thing. But Mary keeps on pushing. You ever been in a situation like that where you say to someone, I don't think this is right. Yeah, I don't want to do this. When you sit with a family member, uh-uh, stop. Let's, like, let's, like, let's do something different. Let's go a different direction. And they just keep pushing and pushing. You ever been like that? This is what's happening to Jesus. So his mother, Mary, says to the servants, Serenity, can you run over to these servants and bring them to Jesus? She ignores what Jesus says to her pretty much. And she says, hey, servants, see this guy right here? Do whatever he tells you to do. Now, she's not making it easy on Jesus, is she? If he thinks the right thing to do is to wait, she really is putting him in quite a pickle. People in our lives don't always make things easy for us either. Is it helpful for you to know that Jesus, God, gets put in pickles like we get put in pickles too? Um, in this moment, Jesus to chooses to do what he already said, what he didn't think was the best, not the most helpful, not the right timing, but he gives in to his mother's pleas, all right? So Jesus says, all right, see those six giant jugs over there? They're about 30 gallons each. They were big. They could have looked just like this, but not holes in them. And uh, there were six of them, and he says, I want you to, f they were actually used for washing hands, so they were like sinks, okay? Jesus says, I want you to fill each one of these up with water, and then I want you to dip your cup in there and take it to the master of the banquet. Now, they have an opportunity to either trust that, you know, it's going to play out well if they do what he says, or they could be embarrassed too, right? But they go ahead and do it. Can we make you the master? Okay, if you want to take it to Eli, he is the master of the banquet. And when they did that, um, he didn't realize where they got it from. He didn't see that they got it from the sink, right? Because that would have been like, ew, right? So he takes a big gulp. Go ahead and take a big gulp. And he goes, whoa, yeah. yeah. That's really good wine. And then he rushes up to the groom and he says, hey, you're so awesome. Like, how funny is it that, you know, usually people wait, give their, their best wine at the beginning, and then as the evening and the days go on, they bring out worse wine when people have had too much to drink, but you've done the opposite. This is even better wine than before. Yay. And the awkwardness is over, and the band starts playing, and everybody starts celebrating, and... Jesus' disciples and the servants and all the people that knew what was going on are like, whoa, this is a glimpse of God's glory. And then they went to Capernaum and stayed there a few days with the mom, the brothers, and the sisters, and the mom. So thank you, all of my actors. Let's give a hand to all of our actors. Friends, this is kind of an uncomfortable story in a, in a way because... I wonder what you make of this. Did God do what God didn't think was right? Did, or did God change God's mind about what was right due to the influence of Mary, his mother? But what do you think? 
What's the good news? What do we learn of God's character? W- one at a time. So, <laughs> Miss Tiffany, what did you say? So you think maybe when he said, my time has not yet come, he wasn't really serious? Like he thought, mm, maybe he's not as bound by time. He chose to do it anyway. We do know that. Any other thoughts? Dalen, did you have one? I couldn't remember what you said. God will always help us. And I think that that is a really insightful thing because when she was uh, trying to do what she thought was best, when she had good intentions, it's not like the demons where she's trying to subvert his authority, you know, I don't think she, I think she really is trying to do what she thinks is best, has good intentions. Jesus says, okay, I'll be on your side. I got you. Maybe he says that would not have been the best, but I got you. We'll walk through this together. Yeah, he's dealing with people who are ignorant and frail and fragile and don't see the big picture. Sounds a lot like me, (laughs) right? Um, And limited. So uh, there is some good news about that. I really do think that this is a really powerful truth, actually. Um, What stands out to me, Jesus is not so rigid in his understanding of right and wrong that he makes no room for others around him who also have good intentions. And he's God. I mean, that's so incredible to me. And he's also not so passive that he doesn't share his perspective with her. He shares it. She kind of overruns and ignores. Um, People aren't always going to do what you want them to do. (laughs) Is that a shock to you? And even in those situations, Jesus, this whole shades of right has been about hearts and trust. Jesus can take a deep breath and trust that God is still going to redeem the situation. God still is big enough and capable enough to invite us into relationship and give us freedom. We don't always do what God wants us to do. We don't know everything. And God can still make everything all work together for God's redemptive purposes. We can't screw it up. <laughs> I think that's fantastic news. And I'm just going to throw this out there about church. Christians don't always agree about what the best course of action is for things. Is that a shock to you too? It really, it's true. It really is true. Has anybody ever served on a committee at church before? More committees have been divided. People dig in their heels. They both think that their way is the only way. We should replace the carpet. Oh no, we should hire a youth minister and said, I know I'm right. I know I'm right. We should help this family with rent. No, that would be enabling them. I'm right. No, I know that I'm right. We should rent space to this organization. No, we should not. They're not theologically aligned with us. I'm right. No, I'm right. And on and on and on. And the more rigid folks are, the more contentious and hostile the conversation can become, the more unlike Jesus we start to look, and the more division there is. When in reality, God will be God tomorrow, too. God can redeem any situation. Unity is sometimes, not always, sometimes more precious 
more valuable, I sometimes might not think it's the best course of action, even as a pastor. But I can submit myself to go along with my Christian brothers and sisters who also have well intentions and meanings and really do think I can do that. And I have. And I think that's a powerful truth, too. God values the well-intended courses of action of his earthly mother, maybe his heavenly father, <laughs> mom and dad were kind of like, mm, which one? <laughs> right? She couldn't see everything that God could see, like Tiffany said, but seems like her heart was in the right place. She cared about her friends. She had compassion on them. She wouldn't give it up. Okay, okay, we'll go with what you said. And Jesus trusted that God can redeem the situation even so. So as we are um, getting ready for communion, um, communion represents for us a whole, whole lot. Um, it's us giving thanks for everything God has done for us. It is us um, remembering, taking time to remember Jesus. Jesus wants us to remember and not forget what Jesus did for us. But it's also a time of Christian unity. Did you know that that's a big part of communion? Um, there's one loaf, one body, <laughs> Um, one spirit. And when we share and commune together, another aspect of that is we all are in the same boat. We all are dependent on the body and blood of Christ, on the salvation of Christ, the grace of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ. We're in this together. May not always see eye to eye, but we're in this together. Lord, give us grace. Give us grace to see the best in one another. Give us grace um, to do together what you've called us to do. Give us grace to sometimes submit to one another and sometimes others submit to us um, in that kind of submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of love for you, for the community, for um, what you've called us to do, God. I pray that this body would be a unified body that more than anything, Lord, we would be a people, just like the graphic has the, the praying hands whose hearts say to you, God, we really don't have to agree on everything, but we really want to be your body in the world, your expression of love in this world, your people who are called by your name, who seek you and do everything we can, Lord, to understand and partner with you and be led by you. Lord, I pray that um, you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us that are gathered here. Fill us in us and through us, around us, beside us. And pour out your Holy Spirit on these elements of bread and juice that you share with us because you really are the master of the banquet, who the host of the banquet who invites us to come to your table. And even in the differences that we have, Lord, you call each one of us your child. You give each one of us forgiveness. And Lord, you're taking each one of us by the hand and helping us to live our lives in ways that bring you glory. So Lord, um, be with us this evening as we continue um, praising you and celebrating your supper together. Thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.